Now, very often what I do, and I think it's because of sort of the apostolic anointing that's on me, I'm really concerned about accurate doctrine. Hence the series about who is Satan really. It's not Lucifer. That was the king of Babylon. It's not prophetic of Lucifer. Okay? So you have to go to other scriptures to find out who Satan is. So that's my concern. But God really spoke to me, and I just wanted to know if the band could still be here, please, at the end of the service. I'd love us to sing that song again. Is that okay? I really need to sing that again in view of um, the message that I'm sharing with you this morning. And uh, suddenly with the singing of that song, it took on a prophetic nature. And um, I want to share it, or a nature of encouragement, which is pre-prophetic. Is that okay? Because all, in, all prophecy should be encouraging, comforting, and strengthening. And so I'm going to touch on scriptures that refer to the resurrection of Jesus. And then I want to take us somewhere. Is that okay? And uh, so follow with me. And, uh, and I'm not apologizing it for being a more topical sermon rather than us dealing with doctrine. But I want to just introduce this to you. The, I said it on Friday. You know, we cannot compromise the great doctrines around the Easter message, the crucifixion, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, neither the ascension, neither his glorification at the right hand of the Father. You know, I don't entertain any doctrine that waters those down at all. And so the centrality of the resurrection is important because if Jesus had died on the cross, salvation would have been incomplete and pointless if he had not risen from the dead. And I'm resisting the temptation to go into it. And then, you know, when he rose, he rose never to die again. It's the difference from being raised from the dead and resurrection. Resurrection implies that death has been conquered and you will not die again. Is that okay? So Jesus was the first person resurrected as first fruits with the saints of the Old Testament whose bodies spilled out of their graves when Jesus was crucified. They formed that cloud that went with him in the ascension that Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 4 as the first fruits of them that rise from the dead. And guess what? Our resurrection comes next. Amen. And Paul guarantees it. You know, he said there are some people in 1 Corinthians 15, I'm taking too much time with this, but who say that there is no resurrection. There never will be a resurrection. But I want to just tell all of you, we all have loved ones who've died in the Lord. They are described as asleep. But Jude tells us that he will come again, Jesus, with his thousands upon thousands and ten thousands of holy ones. And so our loved ones who are in the Lord will be returning with him. Amen. Amen. And then we who are alive and remain until that time are mortal and we shall put on immortality. They shall be the ones that experience corruption, but they will come back incorrupt to pick up an incorrupt spiritual body which has been changed by the resurrection. Is that okay? So it's really powerful, but you know, it makes... The resurrection of Jesus and what makes it the greatest miracle ever that has ever transpired is that he laid his life down and he raised it up again. 
which makes it the greatest miracle. No one has ever done that. Amen? So in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, this is what Jesus said. Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. I, not he will cause me to, I will take it up again. Now, it's a, it's, it's a mystery to try and explain this. But for me, it shows consciousness after death and life after death that he was able to return to a now decayed body to enter it again. And by the power of his own destructible spirit life, as he entered that body, every atom, every molecule in his body, every organ that had decayed or that maybe had been subject to because the Bible tells us that it never decayed, but yet he was truly dead. He was able to enter into that body again and stand up in life. Isn't that incredible? I mean, it's amazing. I think it's worthy of a, amen, Jesus. This is, woo. He even chose the moment when he was to die. After experiencing what he experienced, I don't think there was another human being who would still be alive when he was alive. He chose the moment. He laid his life down when he said, Father, Into your hands I give my spirit or commit my spirit. And then he gave up the ghost. He gave up his spirit. He chose the exact moment, which was split-second timing perfect with the very plan of God. Exactly on time. He chose it. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me goosebumps and goosebumps and more goosebumps. But the thing that follows after it is this, is the great miracle that the Apostle Paul tells us. He tells us that we have that very same resurrection life in us. Man. Man. I I mean, you know, that's a wonder that I've just described. But the next wonder, which we still need to realize and get a revelation of, is the wonder of resurrection life is in here. Imagine if we get a revelation, a realization of that resurrection life. How many of you know that while alive, it can completely change these bodies that are subject to mortality, immortality, but are not yet immortal? Can somebody just say, yeah, yeah? Because of that life that is within us. It starts, this resurrection life starts when we get born again. So the Apostle Paul, when he's praying that magnificent prayer in Ephesians 2, and he, t- he talks about, you know, my desire is, and he prays it, that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And he says, but I continue praying that he would open the eyes of your understanding. Ephesians 2 from verse 15, I think it is. He would open the eyes of your understanding in order that you might know three things, the hope to which he's called you. The riches of his glory, the NIV says his glorious inheritance, which is in, 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 in. Come on, everybody say in. Say in me. He says it's in the saints. And then he talks about the third thing, which connects them all together. And he says, and his incomparably great power for, everybody say for, us who believe. Put your hands on yourself and say, now that's me, I'm a believer. I'm not a doubter. And so that glorious power is inside me. 
Then Paul goes on and he waxes lyrical. He gets descriptive and he starts to say this. That power is like exactly the working of his power, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead, part A, part B, and where he raised him up and seated him at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms, part C, which now fills us, who is the fullness of him, that fills everything in every way. Come on, come on. Just say hallelujah or something, glory. And so that same resurrection life is in us, and we can't downplay it. We dare not deny it. The best thing for us to do is accept it and believe it. So Paul talks about it, the instant change that happens inside of us in Romans 6, 7 to 14. For he that is dead is free from sin. Easter Friday. Woohoo! Is that okay? So I know you don't in this church, but nobody, and maybe it's for the live stream church, I don't know. But you can never say, the devil made me do it. Yeah, my wife made me angry. No, she didn't. She did something, but you got angry all on your own. Huh? Listen, the devil is not that powerful that he can cause the crowning creation, the new creature in Christ, the Christ ones, the anointed ones, he cannot make you sin. So James says you sin because you want to sin. Is that okay? It's because you like it. Hallelujah. So not hallelujah because you like sin. But anyway, now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Everyone say dieth no more. He dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once for all, says the NIV. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Come on, we're going to finish reading these verses. But what Paul is talking about is true about Jesus, but what he's saying, listen, I want you to understand everything I'm saying about Jesus, I'm saying about you. The death that you died, you died once. The life that you live, you live now unto whom? Not unto yourself, not to your wife, not to your husband. You live it unto God. Likewise, now he goes on to us. Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So therefore you can now let not sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Wow. Yeah, it's good to read verses in church, hey? I mean, how powerful is that? There is a life in Christ. Now, I'm going to deviate from doctrine. Now. I just want to go practical now. Is everybody listening? There is a life in Christ because of the indwelling power of the resurrected Christ that is victorious. It's overcoming. It's prosperous. It's health. It's blessed. That's meaningful. 
and that's productive. There is a life in Christ because of the resurrection power of Jesus. I'm going to say it again. For us, especially as believers, because of the indwelling resurrection and resurrected power of the Lord Jesus Christ, because He's inside of us, He is the author of life, there is such a thing as a successful and victorious and meaningful and productive life. Very often in our lives, we go through things. Life has a way. Because we live in a world that is anti-Christ. It's anti-the anointing. Jesus himself said it. Paul said it. John the Apostle said it. The reason why the world does not recognize, and that means to accept. The reason why it doesn't recognize you is because it doesn't recognize him. We are beyond recognition. It's the reason why when Jesus came as the Christ, the anointed one, even his own cousin said when he saw Jesus approaching, there he is, he's the Lamb of God. He had a moment of revelation where God opened his eyes and he said, I knew him not, but they were close. But he had never seen him in the power of the anointing. Amen? We see the early church, the moment the anointing hit them, persecution came. It's what happened. But we need to realize and understand continuously not only our identity, but our purpose in this life. Because what can happen is we can lose our lives and we can be living dead even while alive. The Apostle Paul went through so much, and I believe this was part of what his thinking was when in the book of Philippians chapter 3 and in verse 10, down to verse 12 or 13, when he talked about, my whole desire is to know him and the powers outflowing from his being to become more, the Amplified, more progressively, deeply, and intimately acquainted with those wonders outflowing from his being. And then he goes on to say, and to somehow to attain to the resurrection of Christ from the dead, even whilst among the living. Now, in one part, he's talking about immortality, but in another part, it's the quality of life of immortality. Who wants to live forever miserable? Who wants to live forever unproductive? I mean, if I've just got to, I'll get an amen now. Who wants to live forever poor? No. Okay. You didn't want to really respond because you didn't respond to the others. I mean, how many of you would like to live forever overweight? Okay, now I got some. Yeah, now I got some. Okay. I'm trying to make it practical, okay? But immortality is not only a quantity of life, it's a quality of life. And the quality of life begins when we get saved. Come on, church. Please, give me a woohoo or something. And so the resurrection life of Jesus must apply to my daily living. It mustn't just be a theoretical thing that we talk about every Easter. Or the fact that I'm now just a Christian, just making it. And most time, my nature, the other one, shines through. And then I have to claim there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. But not actually living in victory. Come on, church. There is also a productive life. Let me just throw your minds back. The greatest and most prosperous people in the world, there was a stage when they were believers. Greatest inventions, Christians. Greatest institutions that have blessed mankind, Christians. And you can go through the history books and look at it. Electricity, 
telephones, locomotives, all kinds of things, because of the ingenuity of the minds of people who were alive in Christ. Greatest songs ever written. Medicine, nursing, police, all kinds of things, orphanages, all originated by Christians. Christians, the abolishment of slavery. We can go on and on and on and on because of the power of a resurrected life. Amen? And so there is a life that Paul is talking about that all the Bible writers are talking about, that Jesus is talking about. But sometimes a trauma happens. It can be the trauma of a divorce. It can be the trauma of illness. It can be the trauma of losing a business. It can be the trauma of losing your job and whatever. And many people have suffered a lot of traumas during this COVID period. But look, it happens all the time. Before COVID, without COVID, things are happening. And uh, what often begins to happen is that we begin to live our lives, you know, in a knee-jerk reaction to those traumas. And then we start beginning to live in existence. We are just existing. Going through the motions. Come on, church. And we go through the motions and we live a below reality Christian life. We live below the resurrection of Jesus. We live below the in Christ thing. We live in a realm where we are more sensitive to our hurts and our hurting souls, to our needs, to the the merry-go-round of thoughts and emotions that are swimming around in our head and we're unable to stop it. We live, we're existing. How many of you know God doesn't want you just to be existing? He doesn't want you just living. He wants you to be revived. Amen? And so don't think that I'm just preaching to people on live stream now. Again, to make it even more applicable to us. So the first thing that um, I believe is that um, we need to live our lives and do what Jesus did because of the power of the resurrection. It's very easy to live selfishly. It's very easy to live self-concentratingly, self-focusedly, self-absorbedly. I'm trying to put them all with a lee on the end. Yeah, we can, it's very easy for us to live self-consumed lives, self-centered lives, lives focused on ourselves' lives, instead of on others' lives, number one, to live our life for Jesus. So Jesus said, I have the authority, the power to lay down my life. No one takes it from me. There are people who live their lives for others, but it's because their life has been taken from them. So they live according to other people's expectations of them. They live because other people have manipulated them or dominated them. And nobody intimidated Jesus, manipulated Jesus. No one dominated Jesus. No one conquered his will or his spirit. When the time came, he gave his life. Amen? And so churches are full of people whose lives have been taken from them because there is an expectation through guilt that they must serve. Otherwise, maybe they won't go to heaven when they die. You know what I'm saying? In the legalistic churches. But how much better is it because you have the power over your life that you give your life? There's an example in the Old Testament when it came time to build the tabernacle. 
and Moses started to ask for gifts for the building of the tabernacle, it came to a place where the craftsman came and said to Moses and to Aaron, you better tell the people to stop. We've got too much. We don't know what to do with it. Such was the will of the people is that they came and gave more than enough. I have the power to lay down my life. Is that okay? In service to the Lord. No one takes it from me. Is that good? And so Jesus spoke about it. The Gospels have actually got a lot because Jesus was the model. Jesus was the example. And uh, he says this in John chapter 12, verses 23 to 26. Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Everyone say glorified. Glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Listen to this, church, and listen well. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, these words are so powerful. Listen and read. If anyone serves me, let him follow me and where I am. My servant will be also. If anyone serves me, my father will honor him. Just let it settle. Let it settle. I want a spirit of revelation to fall on us this morning. The reasons many Christians get jealous of other Christians is because God honors them with favor. God honors them with prosperity. God honors them with much grace upon their lives. But it's because they serve Him. Come on, church. If you don't want to be jealous and envious and oh, God's little blue-eyed boy, well, just go and find out how they serve the Lord, how they've given themselves to Him. The Paul the Apostle said it himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, when the Macedonian churches in the extreme poverty but out of rich generosity stood up and gave a gift that knocked the socks off of Paul where he was so shocked with it. And that poor church got the Jerusalem church, the mother church, out of financial trouble because they were in poverty because of a famine and persecution. And Paul says they did more than what we expected. They gave themselves first. You know, there was a saying to Paul, I believe, what can we do? What we, you know, you know, yes, 10 rand, yes, 5 rand, this is all I can afford, but what can I do? They gave themselves first to the Lord. Is everybody following me? There are so many who want the privileges without the responsibility. Now, no one can do it for you. You know, I grew up just about born again. <clears throat> and the bits of me that was not born again, Omar smacked the hell out of me with her plaque. She drove the devil out through the seat of my understanding. Amen? So I got delivered many times. Every time I got possessed, I got delivered. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it left marks. In fact, I think every time it left marked. If I had a camera those days, I could have reported Omar to welfare. But in the olden days, the welfare would have come and given me another idea. You know the good old days. 
Yeah, not these messed up, stupid pop psychology days of today. We've got too educated and too clever. The Bible is very simple. The rod of correction applied to the seat of understanding drives folly out. Come on, church. And so it's laying our lives down to serve Him, to love Him. It's a relationship with Him. When you accepted Jesus, you accepted Him as Lord. Not as buddy, not as a machana. You accept Him as the Lord Jesus Christ. In simple terms, He became your boss. And of course, in modern terms, we can negotiate, we can dialogue, we can, we've learned everything except yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir. Is that right? I mean, we've lost this thing. And you know, these days I watch parents when they tell their kids to do something, the kids know well, where they start negotiating. No, 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 no. No, no, I was just sharing it with the other day with someone who does train their kids, and I was having a good laugh because children are born psychologists. Listen, listen, listen. Before you laugh too much, so are Christians. Because when Jesus starts telling them things and they want to negotiate, when he says, I want you to give to that person, I want you to start tithing, they start negotiating. Well, I'll go to church more, I'll pray more, I'll witness more. You'll do anything other than do what he says. I said it, I wrote it in my children's Bible when I bought them a Bible when they were old enough to start um, listening, I mean reading, <laughs> to reading, when they were beyond the listening, when they came to the reading, I said the greatest wisdom is to do whatever God tells you to do, even if you don't understand it, yeah. knowing that he's wiser than you. Yeah. Is that okay? But we want to debate with our bosses, your but, your but. Well, how about just do it and get some favor? You know? Don't be the one that's always whinging and always nya, 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 nya. Just be a good employee, for goodness sake. I mean, what's so hard about it? Yeah. <laughs> Told you it was a prophetic message, eh? And so, lay down your life. Yeah. You know, your opinion. I mean, why does it matter so much to you? How about just doing what Jesus tells you to do? Yeah. He's far cleverer than you. He created you. He wrote the manual for you. Not for your destruction, for your blessing, for your growth, for your prosperity, for your productivity. Come on, church. Stop negotiating with the word. If it says it, do it. Lay down your stinking life. And only you can do it. That's what I was going to tell you. I was almost raised. I was raised holy. <laughs> I was almost born, born again. But it came a time in my life when I realized, at maybe 12, maybe even 11 years of age, that I could not get to heaven, using that terminology, on the coattails of my mom and dad. And I wasn't doing drugs and all of those things. I wasn't. I mean, I got up to mischief naughty, but if I got caught, I got a hell of a hiding, you know? And so everything we did was clandestine. But in those days, if the neighbors caught you being naughty, even the neighbors were allowed to give you hiding. You know the good old days. And then you didn't go home and tell dad because you're slug. You were naughty out there. Another one. And so no one can do it for you. People can share testimonies. And in this church, I believe in the laying on of hands and impartation. 
but there's no shortcut. No one can do it for you. We're not parasites. You can't have a parasitic relationship with another person's relationship with Jesus. At the end of the day, it takes you. You have the power. You lay down your life, and you serve Him and do what He says. Second thing is you have the power to lay down your life. Listen, church. It always moves, as far as Jesus is concerned, it always moves from Him to others. Always. It always. You have the power to lay down your life for others. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And Jesus said, and I, I've called you friends. I've called you friends. And he laid down his life. He didn't do it for himself. He didn't do it for the glory. He didn't do it for the honor he would receive from God. He did it because he loved us. Many, 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 many Christians are missing healing and missing wholeness and missing their destiny and their purpose because they actually are more in love with themselves than people. Many Christians do not achieve their destiny, their purpose. They never reach a fulfilled life. They never walk in the fullness of Christ because they're more in love with themselves than with people. It's about their opinions. It's about their comfort. It's about their convenience. It's about my time, didn't you know? We are powerfully individualistic, powerfully self-focused. But what about others? Do we care for others? All you can think about is your pain, your trauma, your suffering, what you've missed out on, what you don't have, how tough your life is, what you've been through or going through. All around you, there's other people. For heaven's sake, it's about time you got over yourself and started reaching out to someone else and bring the healing of Christ to someone else because there's resurrection life inside of you. The resurrected Christ is on the inside. What the blazes are you thinking of if you're just thinking of yourself? You know, we've got all these funny sayings. I talk to myself because I want a sensible conversation. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, the reason why I stick on out on my own because, you know, I'm the best company and all of that. That is individualism. We are not called to be individuals. We're called to be a body. If only we got to the place where what other people go through matters more to you than what you're going through. Because it mattered more to Jesus what you were going through than what he went through. Do you have a verse for it? Yes, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross and despised its shame. Come on, we are called what? Christians. Which means like Christ. No one has the power to lay their life down for others except you. You can't do it vicariously. You can't do it through your children. You can't do it through the band. You can't. You know, a lot of times my conversation with my staff is that, you know, people don't know themselves. A lot of Christians 
And I, I'm not going to point anyone out or name any names right now. But you there on live stream. <laughs> we are misled about ourselves. We don't know ourselves. People don't know ourselves. We talk how loving we are and love nobody. Talk how giving we are and give nothing. So many Christians talk a game. They talk as if they're playing for the Springboks. But they haven't even picked up a rugby ball ever in their lives. They talk this great commitment and this great love for God. And it's absent. Come on, church. We've got to get beyond the place of deceiving ourselves. Maybe this Easter Sunday, it's a reality check. Because we have resurrection life in us. Jesus said, I have the power to lay my life down. No one forces me. No one's compelling me. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down because the Father showed me. And then I take up my life again. And he said, when I do this, the Father honors me. What honor? He says, with the glory that I had once before, he'll honor me. Come on, church. There are Christians who live in the glory of God because they have spent themselves on him and they have spent themselves on others. Power to lay it down for others. Jesus said this, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Come on, we can't get away from those words. Put your hand on your chest here and say, deny myself. I must deny myself. And take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, I know that that's talking about eternity lost or whatever, but let me just entertain this thought now. Just give me your attention. You will lose your soul if you're insular. You will lose your soul if you're isolationist because Jesus put us in a body. You will find your soul. Your soul, spirit is born again and perfect. But there's many Christians who, who are soulless because they are self-centered. You will find your soul. So what's, what is the point of driving and just getting building an empire? But you have never touched another person's life. Maybe as a boss, you know, you've employed some people, but you haven't been the best boss or whatever. You haven't touched a life. You haven't changed a life. You haven't imparted a life. Why did Jesus say, you know, I make you disciples. I give you all authority. Because a disciple is a disciple. It's one who trains others by life on life transfer. It's transferring your life into and onto another person, giving them principle and being a role model and being an example. Why has the church got no disciples? Because there's a lot of selfishness. More consumed with my own little world and kingdom and empire and nothing for others. Come on, church. So laying yourself, your life down for others. I like what Oswald Chambers said in My Atmos is Highest. Salvation is easy for us because it cost God so much. But the exhibiting of salvation in my life is difficult. God saves a person, fills him with the Holy Spirit, and then says, in effect, 
Now you work it out in your life. And be faithful to me, even though the nature of everything around you is to cause you to be unfaithful. Jesus says to us, I've called you to be a friend to me. Remain faithful to your friend and remember that his honor is at stake in your bodily life. And then there's so many verses. Oh, I don't know. It's just not much time. But the other thing that I want to come to, I'm not going to share. There's some beautiful verses in the, in the Passion Translation if we had time. But for time's sake, let's move on to the third point. The third point, because of the resurrection life in you, Jesus said this, I have the power to take up my life again. So what I've been talking about this morning, I want to just drop off one word out of that sentence that Jesus said. I have the power, the authority to take up my life. And then if at one stage you were living that life and you were more progressive in your Christian walk, and then the trauma seemed to cut you off, the good news is you have the power to take it up again, afresh. There might have been a time when you were really flowing and flying and walking with God and you were on track and you were on time with his timetable for you. And then something diverted you. Something bewitched you. Something cut across your path. And that's the nature of the world we live in. It's the nature of trauma. It's the nature of events. And the stuff that I want to share with you this morning is stuff that I have done in my own personal life. Twice in my life, the devil tried to kill me. The first time in 2004 with a stroke. And the second time from 2007 onwards with the viruses and a thing called Lyme's disease and that I'm still getting through. So the lessons I learned from the first one, I applied with the second one. And I decided that I have the power to take up my life again. And so some of the things that I want to share with you, I'm going to go through them. The two pitfalls to avoid. The two pitfalls to avoid, and I'm going to give you a couple of principles to employ. Two principles to avoid. Number one, number one, there is a danger, and now I want you to hear this. Fortunately, I'm still young. Very young. I'm still very young. But I want to just talk to those people that are heading towards a certain age. You know, 500 years old or something like that. I want to talk to you. The sure sign that you have lost something is when you start living more out of memory than vision. I'm going to say it again. When you hear yourself talking about the olden days or remember those days when we did this or remember the revival of that time. And it's good to remember and cast your mind back, but you can't live in that time. If you live in a bygone era means you're camped in a bygone era. You need to live out of vision. You can remind yourself of those. And whenever I do that, I am resisting the temptation to live in a past revival. I will immediately talk about the fact that it's nothing compared to what is coming. Because I don't want to live out of memory. If I reflect in memory, I want it to be something that motivates me and motivates vision to go ahead. Come on, church. You need to be living in vision. You will atrophy. You will die an early death if you stop 
living with vision. Get a vision for something. Do something. Is that okay? And it must always include others. Everybody, everybody say others. Instead of sitting, thinking about how terrible your life is, pick up the phone and phone somebody and love somebody over the telephone. Okay, it's not like that anymore with a thing now. And now it's like this. Pick up the phone. <laughs> it was a flashback. Okay, I'm living out of vision, right? Pick up the phone and phone somebody. Do something. Make a little something. Cook some rust or something. Do something for someone else. There's a lady in the church in Port Alfred. Incredible vision. Incredible testimony that she has. She went down there, burnt, smashed, broken up in ministry, falsely accused. I mean, she was completely smashed up. And she was just going to take some months off and just go and spend some time there. And when she got there, somebody offered her a place to stay, long and short of it, a temporary job in a, a guest house called the Beach House Guest House, where we stay when we go there, which literally you walk across a little road like this, and you're on the sand, and you're on the beach. So you open the door on the second floor. And Thank you, Jesus. And she took it over, but when she got there, God gave her a vision for a, a retreat for people who'd been in ministry. So she practiced on Bev and I. And she always blesses us with a place to stay, refuses to take money. It doesn't matter how. We, she won't even give us her bank account details because we secretly want to put money in. And she got a vision for that guest house. 6.2 million rand, it was for sale. And she got a vision to do you know, what, what she wanted to do. The long and short of it, the owner of it, basically gave her the guest house. Said, carry on. Church, listen to me carefully. If you live in your sorrows, you'll miss your vision. If you live on memory, she could have become bitter and twisted and angry and upset. And just, you know, I was in a full-time ministry. She was the dean of the Bible school. She was preaching. She was flying high when the rug was pulled out of her and she was completely innocent. They afterwards repented. It's too late. But because of her laying down her life and saying, I will not get angry, I will not speak evil, I mean, it's taken me, I don't know how many visits to find out, and not even all of the story. I will not be bitter, I will not be this. She laid down her life to her king and said, this is what must rule and reign in my heart. Come on, church. Not my pain, not the injustice. Nothing like that. She put it behind her. And somewhere in the midst of all the confusion, this vision starts to arise. She starts to write it. It was a couple of years ago. She already drew the logo and sent it to me and said, this is my vision, and I prayed over it with her. Now she owns the place. Come on, church. What happened? God honored her. Because she laid down her life to the principles of God. It must include others. So the first thing that I want you to avoid is don't live from memory, live from vision. Some of this happened to me because after the stroke, I thought it was all over. I came, I was limping, my left side was dragging, peripheral vision gone. I was extremely weak, extremely sick, and I dragged myself up here to the church. We were doing the first phase of the extensions here. 
We were in the middle of it. We, I had been flying high. We were in revival. I was itinerating all over the world. I mean, we were building at home. We were doing all sorts of things. And then pew, there goes the rug. Great trauma. I didn't know what had hit me. It's, I felt as if my body had betrayed me. There's a certain medical condition for that where you feel a separation between yourself and your body, and you feel this body is this other person who's let you down. It's a known medical condition. You feel betrayed. And I came limping around and dragging my side and walking in here, and I said, well, Lord, this is the end of it. Now, now what happens? And then he spoke to me. This is from the last point, actually, but I'll bring it in now. And he said, your hands began it. Your hands will complete it. And going to Prophet Kerbis, because I just heard about him then, and I remember walking through the first miracle pool, walking, you know, battling and struggling. And the power of God touched me. I wasn't instantly healed. It was a progressive healing. But something came alive inside of me. And that thing that came alive was, I'm going to do miracle pools and people are going to get healed. I'm going to have this anointing, this power, this presence. I'm going to see people heal. Something came alive. It came alive from me because of the <laughs> resurrected Christ in me. <laughs> Come on, church. Live from vision, not from memory. If you don't have a list of vision, start to get vision today. Second thing to avoid. One of the Hollywood actors that I really love Clint Eastwood. <laughs> He's my man. In the movie Unforgiven, he's standing at the bar. And he's got his cigarette in his mouth. He's got his whiskey there. Now, I'm not condoning the cigarette and the whiskey. Just hear what I'm going to say about Clint Eastwood. And this lady walks up and he's got a very short surly reply and she goes oh my goodness you're having an angry day and she goes lady I was born angry <laughs> goosebumps <laughs> my man and uh, Clint Eastwood they were interviewing him television interviewer was interviewing they said Clint Eastwood you're 90 years of age done all these movies what are you going to do now and the interviewer was expecting him to say, well, you know, I'm getting old now. Huh? No, he wouldn't talk like that. I'm getting old now. I'm going to just park my boots and put my hat up and, and take it easy. He said, why? What do you mean? He says, I'm going to produce another movie. Ninety. Fifty million dollar budget. Does another movie called The Mule. He's not a good guy. He's not a cowboy in this movie. But Toby Keith, I think his name's Toby Keith, wrote the song title for the movie. I love it. I, I listen to it all the time. I sing it to myself every now and then. You want to know what the song is? It starts like this. Don't let the old man in. When he comes knocking at the door, don't let him in. Come on, those of you are all approaching 500 now. <laughs> don't let the old man in. Don't use the excuse, well, I'm old now, because you will get what you confess. You will be old before your time. 
Am I speaking your language? I mean, who lives inside of you? Jesus. Here's the Apostle John writing the book of Revelation, probably at 90 years of age or however old he was. Having encounters with God. Don't get old before your time. Don't get old in here. We sit with a resource of people who, over a certain age, this incredible wisdom, this practical-to-life wisdom that you have, you've learned it through the years. You can give young people so many detours. Don't go and make the same mistake. There's a valuable and incredible. But you're sitting there, no, I'm old now, and I've been working so long, and I should take it easy. Who said? Who said? Who said? That thing about retirement was a demonic thing. How many of you know that? The patriarchs in the Bible were respected, and they remained patriarchs until they died. And what they prophesied over their children happened. Come on, don't get cranky and old. Don't get gray matter because of your roots. You know, don't go gray inwardly. Come on, stay vital, stay fresh, stay strong. Come on, church. I mean, you know, if because of works reasons or you've been able to do it because God has blessed you and you're able to retire at 55 or 60 or 65 or whenever, me, I don't want to retire. I want to just refire, 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 refire. I couldn't think of anything more terrible than retiring. Because I know every Sunday I'd be sitting thinking, yes, if I was preaching today, what sermon would I be preaching? <laughs> People get old and die when they start getting into that retirement sort of framework. Don't let the old man in when he comes knocking at the door. Of course, there's powerful symbolism, and now I've got to wind down. There's powerful symbolism in it, and, and that's this. The symbolism is that the Bible calls your old nature the old man, which was crucified with Christ. If you want resurrection life, don't let that old man knock at your door. All I'm going to do is say this about it. The the longer I'm pastoring, the more I'm able to say, When I tell you this, I know I'm right. And it's really nice being right. Because I hate being wrong. You know, I think I have legitimately earned the right to say to people, but I told you so. Especially when I did tell them so. Not because I'm exceptionally clever, because after nearly more than 35 years of pastoring, things that I've told people 35 years ago, and they didn't listen. I'm watching the fallout. I know the consequences. So if I say, don't do that, for heaven's sake, listen. You know, God's word is full of advice. Don't let the old nature in. In the parable of the weeds and wheat, I'm taking it out of context to its meaning. But there's stuff in your character and personality that hasn't come under the shadow of the cross. It hasn't been redeemed by the Holy Spirit, yet may be. Or it's in a process. Keep working on it because weeds and wheat grow together. But you need to uproot the weeds and nurture the wheat so that the life of Christ in you is what shows. 
Have you ever wondered why you get some old people and they're the most darling old people, the most gracious, the most lovely, the most wonderful, the most polite, the most grateful, the most whatever, and they're the most like Christ, but you know there's snow on the roof already, but they still have the fire inside. And then you find others and you're convinced this is the devil's wife. This is the devil's stepdad. Because they're cranky, horrible people. Why? They didn't dig out the weeds. And now the weeds have matured and there's something about senior and weeds that just complement each other. <laughs> Come on, church. I want to be the most loving, the most gracious, the most kind. I want to be the, just the nicest person ever because I want to constantly work on this garden called my spirit and my soul. Amen? I don't want weeds of anger and disappointment and disillusionment to track me all my life and trip me up at the end. Amen. Don't let the old man in. Live the resurrected life. And I'm going to fly through these six steps. Remember what you love to do and, and go and do it. Yeah. Remember, number one, how to live again or how to live. Remember what you do, what you love to do and go and do it. Now, I'm, not, I'm talking, yes, outside of the church, but my main concern is in the context of the church. God has given you gifts and talents that motivate you to serve in the church. Why is it so difficult for us to find ushers to usher at the door? or projectionists to project at the LED, or camera people to operate the camera. Why is it so difficult? Because it's not convenient. Because you would much prefer to sit in church and be served and listen. Let's face facts. Listen, this is your daddy, earthly daddy, under the heavenly daddy, and I love you. Why can't we get people to help mind the children? or the kitchen. You would rather be served than to serve. Now church, with tears in my eyes, I ask you, is that not true? You've got to get to a place where you understand that God puts motivations and giftings inside of you to motivate you through that gift, doing something that you enjoy doing and find its expression in serving, 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 serving yeah. the body. And you serve in the area of your gifting. Don't try and step out of your gifting. But at least you should be able to have enough motivation inside of you to say, that brother, that sister from church is a model. Let me just pick, them up and f pick up the phone and phone them. They looked like they were a bit down. All right, moving on rapidly. It's got very quiet. In the Passion Translation, this is what the Apostle Peter says. Every believer has received grace gifts. Grace gifts. So use them to serve one another as faithful stewards of the many-colored tapestry of God's grace. Number two, reconnect with your dreams or get dreams for the first time and dream big. What kind of dreams did you have for your life before you got lost in the busyness of life? What have you since deemed impossible or improbable 
because of where you are today. What is impossible? Brother, just you there. God, there's a lot of things that God wants to restore to you. Lots of things were lost, and you've settled for the status quo. But I want to tell you that you're here today to hear this message. I've been watching you from the beginning, and God is really speaking to your heart. If you do these things that I'm telling you, you will see a restoration in your life like you have never believed possible. For you, God says, I will repay the years the locusts have eaten, and it's time for your restoration. Reconnect with your dreams. Can I say this? It's not too late. Dream big. You know, I was um, really blessed by um, following on Facebook, um, Stephen, he's doing projection, how he's picked up his artwork again and just how in a series of pictures, you know, charcoal-type sketches that he's drawn, I can see an immense improvement um, in, in his artwork. And what he's doing is he's reconnecting with a gift that is inside of him and a talent. And it doesn't have to be used in the church, but it will certainly bless others. But a time will come when he could. Amen? And you've got talents. You need to discover them. And sometimes those talents can turn into an income stream. Connect with your dreams or reconnect with your dreams. What is your soul aching for? What is your longing? It's amazing to me how Many young men and young women have these amazing dreams, and I'm just relating it to ministry, but it doesn't have to be ministry. It, it's broad and varied, and it's out there in the world and, and where you are. But they have these dreams and visions of themselves on stages, preaching to masses of people. And you know that God gives you a dream before reality. Some people dream about having a business. Some people dream about coming up with an invention. Some people... That's a dream. Connect with that dream. And understand that you've got resurrection life inside of you. You have the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I said it, and I want to say it again. This COVID thing has given the church the greatest opportunity, not only for the witnessing of the gospel, but to come up with business ideas. I'm telling you, it's made space. The creativity of the Spirit is within us. If we can get an idea from him. Third thing is, expand yourself outside of your comfort zone. Often when we go through things like what you went through, we can introvert, we can insulate, and we can isolate. And we can wrap ourselves with cotton wool because we're afraid of further pain or further disappointment or further disillusionment. But if we can... Break out of the status quo and stop stepping outside of it, out of it, and start forcing ourselves to do things that we once did or to do things that are uncomfortable for us, to break the pattern and start to move into a place where we can start touching and have meaning for other people, things will start to happen. It's uncomfortable sometimes to do those things or always to do those things. Growth doesn't happen by staying in your bubble of comfort where everything is familiar. It doesn't happen there, church. It doesn't happen there. Challenge yourself to do something that is slightly terrifying, but very invigorating. Is that okay? Go to the zone, not a comfort zone. Go to a life zone. 
where you are stretching yourself and doing it again, but this time better, and then continue to grow and evolve. And when I talk about things like this, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Start applying it. Fourth, get quiet and listen. And God is speaking every day. God is speaking all the time. There's signs, there's messages, there's guideposts that are divine, that are placed there by God. You need to get quiet and listen. Pay attention to the signs on the road, the songs on the radio, the people you meet in the street, the things they say. Pay attention to the sermon. Pay attention to the word. Read the word. Number five, remember that because of the indwelling Christ, you have the power to be and the power to have and the power to do anything that you set your heart to, to desire to do. Anything. In the last two weeks, you had two awesome messages, one by Nkosinati and the other one by Andre, on prophesying and speaking, the power of the tongue. But the power of the tongue mustn't be something that you're saying out verbally to try and convince yourself mentally. Let it come from a renewed mind. Be speaking to yourselves, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, so that when you begin to prophesy, that you have a witness, two witnesses, your mouth and your heart and mind. Don't be lying with your mouth and it's the opposite of what you're thinking in your mind. Get a vision. Get an idea. Fill your mind with it. Meditate. Let the meditations of your heart and the words of your mouth be acceptable in your sight. Sometimes we can teach our minds by our mouths it's one of the ways of putting ourselves in remembrance and remembering. And it's where we speak it to, to instill it. But get it instilled and then have a unity of being of heart and mouth when you start to speak the things you are able to do. And lastly, be honest at times when it's difficult and learn to ask for help. There's others in this church who've walked the road or beginning the walk of the road. And they can just encourage you, help you, pray with you minister to you, give you direction. We have a very successful businessman in the church who after three failed businesses, one key to success that I asked him, you know, the key to this success, what is it? And he said, I learned from all the mistakes of the others. He said, I got burned in the university of hard knocks. Now I know what not to do. And this time I'm doing it right. Successful man. And he has made himself available to be a mentor to people in business, a life coach. These people who've walked the road, where did it start for him? After he lost his third business, and we've been friends for over 35 years, where his hair had fallen out in bunches, the alopecia from stress, where he had to come and ask me if we could buy a car for him on my name, and he promised, I, look, I won't do that for anyone else, so don't even ask me. Because the answer will be no. Because it nearly cost me my marriage. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Bev just said, Don, I hope you know what you're doing. So I said, well, put it this way. If you can't pay it, we get a nice car to live in. <laughs> but he was very faithfully paid. The Bible tells you not to do that. But I did it. And just one day, he got an idea. And one day, when he was sitting on the side of the road crying, a lady knocks on the window. And when he winds it down, she gives him a prophecy. Listen, if you set your heart 
and you realize, I have the power to take up my life. God will, God will do the rest. Be honest and ask for help. So I'm closing with these verses again. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down for him and for others. But hey, I have the power to take it up and to live the life he designed for me. And Jesus said, this command I've received from my Father. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. This is what I want you to do. I don't want you to think this was a good message. Okay? When there's a good message, you go, oh, this is a good message for so-and-so. No, no, I want you to say this was a good message for me. Say, Lord, you spoke to me today. I want to live. I want to really live. He's given us all things, the Bible says, for life and godliness. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And I know a lot of it is because I've let the old man in. I know some of it is because I'm tempted at times to live out of memory rather than vision. Griping instead of confessing. Whinging instead of prophesying. Agonizing instead of travailing in prayer. I know that. And so I want you to know, I preached to myself first yesterday. I dug deep into my heart, and I'm sharing things with you that are personal to my own life, and therefore real to my own life. God wants you to live. Come on, church. To rule and reign in this life by one Christ Jesus. A meaningful, productive life. He has made every resource available. I don't want you to underestimate the power of this apostolic prophetic word this morning. I am divinely, divinely aware. I cannot describe how I'm feeling right now on the inside. It's almost like there's a room full of new birth. The atmosphere is like pregnant with destiny. I want you to underestimate it was a timely word was a word in season and this word has power and it shall not return void without accomplishing the purpose to which it was sent so I declare that anything of grave clothes you're out of the grave but what happened with Lazarus Jesus said take the grave clothes off anything that's the residue of the grave of the old life I command to be taken off of you in the name of Jesus I call you to come forth as the new man, a new person with resurrection life inside of you. I declare that the next part of your life will be greater than the sum total of the former. I declare that you shall be prosperous and productive and that you will be fulfilled, that you will step into destiny and your purpose in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That the resurrection life of Jesus Christ will so flood your being that it will inspire your mind. Yes. That you'll be empowered by that very life to accomplish your wildest dream. Yes. Your biggest dream, your greatest desire and longing shall be fulfilled in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, go and be blessed and have an awesome week. Go with resurrection life in you in Jesus' name. Amen.